Father, once again we come before you on a Sunday morning and ask that you would give us the ability to worship you. Lord, help us to understand that our singing is part of our worship to you. Lord, our, our giving and things that we can do are part of our worship. The special music, Lord, the preaching. But Lord, we ask that you would allow our hearts to be centered upon the invitation time. A time where we can do nothing except give up and surrender to you. Lord, we pray that truly we would give to you that which is already yours. Lord, we cannot help but believe there are people in here who need to surrender to you about the issue of salvation, about the issue of baptism and membership, about the issue of service to you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to worship you in our surrender to your word and your will in our lives. Lord, we ask you to change us so that people can see the difference you make in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good, and let's go to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And last uh, several Sunday mornings we've been in this series, so didn't really give it the title until last Sunday. Uh, and we're just going to start in verse 14 as way of introduction. Paul is writing to Timothy, his young preacher boy, trying to help him and establish him in the ministry. And he says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory." Now, Paul was writing Timothy and trying to help him. He says, now listen, I want to help you set in order. And that's what the, the book of 1 Timothy is about, is order and how things are to be, be in the church. And chapter 3, he just finished explaining the two offices in the church, that of pastor or bishop and, and that of deacon. And then he says, I've given you these things so that you can know how you ought to behave yourself in the church. And, uh, and many people uh, over the years have said, well, what, what does it mean to be a member? We, we've had people who come and say, well, I'm a member of the church. Uh, no, you, you can't be a member of the church until you ask to be a member of the church. We can't, we don't just put you on the rule book because... As we're going to go through our uh, the sermon today, we're going to find out that there's some uh, requirements. Now, you go to certain churches and they want a copy of your tax return and they want to uh, study and make sure that your giving matches up to what... We don't do that here. 
Uh, I knew a preacher. He's a dear friend, and I, I love him in the Lord. I just can't do what he did. He said, I go over, and he said, I don't even knock on the door. He said, I just stick my head in the living room window and says, how's y'all doing? I said, that gets you shot down here, I think. And uh, uh, I'm not going to follow you around. Because the Bible tells us that we're supposed to take responsibility in our own lives. Amen? And so, as we look here, what, what does it mean? How should we behave... In the church, and the church is an important thing. You see, we are reactionary creatures. And if you're familiar with the Roman Catholic or the Orthodox uh, religions, they teach you that salvation is something the church gives you. And if you don't do what they tell you to do, they're going to take it away. Now, the Bible is very clear. There is only one being in the universe that can give you salvation. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will never take it away. And you say, well, what about the devil? The devil doesn't have that kind of power, my friend. When God saves you, Jesus said, I give unto them what? eternal life. And if you can figure out some way to make eternal not eternal, then it wasn't eternal in the first place. Amen? I mean, eternal just simply means what it says, without end. And Jesus has said, listen, I've come to give you that salvation. Only Jesus saves you. Now, The Catholic Church has put itself in a place of so much importance that you can't get married, you can't get buried, you can't get born, you can't get anything without the church being involved. Why? Because they want that kind of control in your life. Now, let me ask you a question. Should you get married without the church if you're a Bible-believing Christian? No, you shouldn't. Should you be buried without the church if you're a Bible-believing Christian? Absolutely not. You know, it's one of the great opportunities, if you use it that way, to have a captive audience to listen to the gospel. Some of you will remember, I really, even today when I think about it, appreciate what our church family did uh, at the funeral of George Pendergast. Uh, George was one of our members, and... Most of George's friends were in the unsaved world. And I think there was about 25 or 30 people from church showed up to his funeral. You know what? That helped me in ways I cannot tell you to be able to stand before that crowd of, uh, there's probably 150, 175 people there. I mean, it was packed. And if you remember George, George was a big guy, but he was small compared to some of his friends. Uh, I I shook hands with a guy and he told, oh yeah, we played ice hockey and all I could see was 
270 pounds of whatever that guy's name was skating at me at high speed. And I said, boy, I'm glad I never learned to play ice hockey. Amen. Uh, scared of living daylights out of me. But I got to preach the gospel to all those people. Every once in a while, I'll run into somebody. Oh, yeah, hey, I remember you from George's funeral. Let's see. Can I talk to you a few minutes? I don't have time today, preacher. But they got it. You see, the church is important. Sometimes in trying to get away from the wrong teaching of the Catholic Church, we're wrong in diminishing the importance of the church in our lives. The church, when God explains the church in the Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we'll just start here. And, and we'll probably take time before we finish this series to deal with spiritual gifts, but we're not going to deal with that in particular today too much. But start in, in verse uh, 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit... Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit? For the body is not one member, but many. And so, this verse here uses something that every one of us are intimately familiar with. The human body. You have one. You are here today because you are in the flesh. Amen? And uh, we know some things about our bodies, do we not? They say as you get a little older, you get forgetful. And the other things that happen, I just forgot, right? Uh, that's the line everybody uses. Uh, but as you get older... Uh, you do have to be a little more careful what you do with your body. It, it does not respond as well as it did when you were 18. I mean, uh, they tell us that men have this problem much more than women do. When a man looks into a mirror, he does not see what's in the mirror. He sees what he wants to see in the mirror. Those clothes, they still fit. <coughs> Yeah, a little tight, but I mean, it's there. It, just the way I used to be when I was 20. Liar. That's why women spend so much time in the mirrors, because they actually see things and they try to get it fixed. Amen? Uh, but men like to pretend that things aren't there. Or that things are there that aren't there. But, I mean, it's just a, it's a sad thing. And... But our bodies are important. You, you need to take care of it. I like what Brother Shaw used to say. 
He said, God will keep you here on earth until He's finished using you in the ministry. How much needless pain and suffering you endure while you're here may be up to your decisions that you made. And uh, so we need to be careful about that thing. But your body's got lots of parts. And it's one body. And every part of your body is very, very important, is it not? If you think that your little toe is insignificant, I've got a test for you. Maybe you ought not do it this at home. Just take it for granted. Uh, Don't use a straight pin. Get a needle. And if you think your little toe is unimportant, just take that needle and stick your little toe with it and see what happens. Your entire body is going to react, is it not? You know why? Because it's connected. How many of you have ever seen a little puppy chase its tail? I mean, it is so cute. I mean, they'll just be barely walking and they'll see that tail waggling on the ground. Hey, hey, man, that's interesting. And they'll bend around and look at their tail. And as they bend around, it moves. And they'll literally run in little circles. Now, occasionally, if the dog has a long enough tail, and I've watched this happen, it's hilarious. They catch it. (laughs) Oh, it's so much fun. Little babies. They'll get about three, maybe four months old, just barely rolling. And they'll see their hand. Hey, where'd that come from? I wish that worked when they were teenagers. Amen? But our body is a wonderful thing. God put it together in such a way that regardless of what the quote-unquote scientist or evolutionist says, it could not happen by accident. Just take one thing. You have a posable thumb. You know what? Primates do not have thumbs. They have five fingers. Do you realize that thumb is responsible for about 80% of the true strength of your hand? You can do things... Now, you cannot hang from branches and poles like monkeys do. You know why? Because thumbs are not fingers. But they do other things that the monkeys and that cannot do. And evolution cannot explain how that fifth finger became a posable thumb. There's no explanation. Well, I'll tell you, God made it that way the first time because He knew it would be better for us. And and He knew all these things and He put us together. And if you read down through the rest of chapter 12 there, you will see that Paul uses several examples here. The first one, in verse 15, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand... I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Verse 16, And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? 
If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased them. Is that what your Bible says? You see, those pronouns are pretty important. Let's read that verse again. It says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. I I believe in spiritual DNA. DNA is the code in your cell that when that baby is conceived, and by the way, even with all of our science and all of our ability, we have no way of knowing when natural conception occurs. Oh, we can pin it down after the baby's born to a certain days or so. But we have no clue as to when it happens. It is a mystery that God has made. Yet in that one cell, everything about you is contained. How long you're going to live, unless you play in traffic or fall off the side of a mountain. What color your hair is going to be, the color of your eyes. Your IQ, even if you play baby Einstein all your toddler years, your IQ is already programmed in to your DNA. The ability to reason and things like that, it's, it's there. Whether your hair will be naturally curly, wavy, or wave goodbye, I mean, it's all there in your DNA code before anybody even knows you exist. Read Psalm 139. But we're talking about the church. And it says that God has taken time to intervene in your individual life and set you in a place in the body that He wants to be pleased with you being there. That sounds amazing, does it not? That the God of heaven, the Creator God of the universe, would not only take time to save you, but He wants to take you and fit you in the body in a way that He will be happy with. Now, I'll tell you, you can't find that in any religion of this world. Only in the Bible does it teach a God like that. And there are many different things that have to happen in the body. Those that are supposed to know these things says that every 24 hours, 
your liver all by itself performs over 500 separate and complete functions. Each one of them are necessary to sustain life on a normal basis. Now, we're not going to take time to name them. I don't even know what they all are. Uh, I really don't care. I'm just glad they're going on. How about you? How many of you have ever walked up a long flight of stairs? And all of a sudden you start breathing a little heavier? Your heart starts beating a little faster? Do you know if that didn't happen that you would pass out right then and there? Because your body in using that energy needs more oxygen flowing to the cells and needs more blood rate feeding the muscles and keeping things going. Your body does all that by some magical thing, right? No. God programmed it to work that way. And when you go to sleep, He programmed your body to slow down so that you can actually rest and repair. God did all of these things, and these things are supposed to be true in the body of the church. Now, let's read on here. It says, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now there are there many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these bestow we more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care one for another. Uh, how many of you came to church this morning thinking about your leukocyte count? You even know what one of those is? Those are the white blood cells that fight off infection in your body. You know how important they are? One of the kids said the other day, Dad, where do pimples come from? I said, well, it's an infection in your skin. Well, won't that kill you? He said, no, that's a little one, not a big one. And your body protects you and keeps those things little so that they don't go all the way through your body and kill you. We don't think about certain parts of our body, but we're glad that they work and they do the things that they should. And the Bible says... That in the church, in this body that belongs to Christ, that there should be no schism or no division. There shouldn't be any fights in the body. Because, verse 26, And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. For one member be honored, or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, I want you to read verse 27 very carefully. We're going to read it twice. 
Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. One more time, let's read it all out loud together. Now, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You see, when we read verse 13, Paul said, We are all baptized into one body by one spirit. Now, what he's talking about in verse 12 is, every believer in Jesus Christ has the same salvation. And that one day, we will be assembled together in heaven as one body. There's only one problem. We're not there yet. And so, until we get there, Paul is explaining to the Corinthians that ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. That each individual church is a complete and self-contained Uh, looking for other adjectives to put in here, but is the body of Christ made up of the members of the church? I had one smart apple try to tell me, well, then you've got one head, which is Christ, and all these little bodies hanging off of it. I said, cute, but you don't win the prize. You see... Each individual church is not a picture of the whole. It's not a representation. But it exists in reality as if it were the only church in existence. But God can give His personal attention to each local church that's existing on this earth as if they were the only one there, all at the same time. Because he doesn't want to rob any one church from its responsibility, its duty, or its function. My grandparents belonged to a denominational church, And unfortunately, the thriving metropolis of Arvona, Pennsylvania, population about 304, something like that, was deemed a very unimportant church in the overall organization of churches. And so it was a place where they would send young or struggling ministers to kind of learn. And as soon as the preacher started doing something good, then they moved them to another church that was more important. How would you like to be in a church like that? You see, that's why we do not believe in denominationalism. Because... If the district superintendent is in charge of what goes on in the church, how can Jesus be in charge of what goes on in the church? Amen? And if denominational headquarters is responsible for that church, then what are the members responsible for? 
Well, I'll tell you what the answer is in the Anglican Church. Nothing. You show up, you put the money in, and we do what we want with the building and the money and everything, and you have no say whatsoever. And uh, that was actually in a court case in Brooklyn several years ago because the people of the church said, hey, we're the members, we're putting money into this, we ought to have a say. And they said, no, well, that's not the way our church is organized. You don't have a say. This is not a democracy, it's a church. Well, in the Bible-believing church, we are members of the body. Christ is its head. And God takes us and puts us in His church in a way that He wants to be pleased with. That will please Him if we fulfill our function and our duty. Now look with me at the next verse here. It says, And God hath set some in the church. First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, government, diversity of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are, are, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, here's what Paul's saying. He said, God has set some in the church. Now, apostles, those were the ones that were personally trained by Jesus Christ and personally commissioned by Jesus Christ. We have the 12 apostles that followed Jesus. Of course, one was Judas, and he fell through his transgression. Then we have later the apostle Paul, who was trained by Jesus. Read Galatians chapter 1, and commissioned by Jesus. He said, I was one born out of due time. He didn't follow the the standard procedure, but I, I want to challenge you. There is no such thing as a living apostle today of Jesus Christ. Now, now there are living apostles in the Mormon church and living apostles in the, um, I think they call them apostles in the Jehovah's Witness cult and some of these other organizations out there. But according to the Bible, there are no apostles. Why? Because we have what they wanted us to get. We have it right here. No need to go get any more. In fact, we're not doing with what we have what we ought to be doing with what we have. So let's get taking care of what we do have before we go find something new. Amen? Can we say amen to that? Then we have prophets. Now, the Bible is very clear. The idea of a prophet is one who foretells future events. Amen? Old Testament prophets. But the prophet also had another duty. (coughs) Elijah was a great prophet, was he not? But not everything he did was foretelling the future. I may remember the meeting with Ahab 
Thou art the man. Well, the job of the prophet was also to foretell God's word. You know, we have some great preachers living today that kind of fulfill that, but nobody is getting new revelation. Read Galatians chapter 1. Read Revelation chapter 22. There is no new revelation. It is complete. Well, then we have teachers. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that. I is one. Amen? Uh, Just don't learn grammar from me. No, I did that on purpose so you would hear it and get it. That's the preacher. That's another name for the pastor of a church. It is the teacher or the preacher. In in, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says that uh, pastors, teachers... And then it goes on to talk about all these different spiritual gifts. And again, I don't want to spend a great deal of time on this, but I do want you to understand this. God used these miraculous or sign gifts that are listed in the Bible... To verify the authority of God's Word. Pentecost. God used the sign of speaking in tongues. After Pentecost, He used the gifts of healing to make the Pharisees and the Sadducees realize that, hey, these men have been with Jesus, and because they were with Jesus, now they've done a notable miracle just like He did. But... I like to ask the question, if I could do real, true miracles. I mean, just walk down here to the old Astoria Hospital and empty it. Now, that would be a miracle. That was the kind of miracles that Jesus did. Didn't need a TV camera or an offering plate to get anything done like these guys on television today. He just did it. But then I came into church and I said, now listen, I've done all these miracles and that proves that I'm a man of God. Now I'm going to tell you something that's not in the Bible. Would you believe me? I hope you wouldn't. Because this is the authority, not me. In fact, if you read your Bible correctly and understand it, The next person that's going to come on the scene doing miracles and saying, believe me, because of what I did, is a person the Bible calls the Antichrist or the beast and the false prophet. You see, everything you need is right here. And if there is only one thing I can do as the pastor of this church, if there's one thing I can do and accomplish, it would be to help you get in this book. That's the only thing I want to do. That's the only influence I want to have on your life. Because if you will get in this book, God will be able to set you in His body, the local church, as it hath pleased Him. 
problem is we're not all in this book the way we ought to be. You see, sometimes it's hard to be satisfied with our job. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and this is the other chapter that God explains the body. Romans chapter 12. Of course, we're very familiar with verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And Brother Lucas preached verse 3 greatly the Sunday night he was with us. And we get down to verse 4. It says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, And every one members one of another. Having gifts, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. And it goes on to describe the things that ought to go on in the church. But I want us to just hone in on one part of this. Look at verse 5. It says, So we being many are one body in Christ, every one, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now, what Paul was saying here to the Romans is basically what he was saying to the Corinthians in a different way that each one of us have different duties or different abilities or different uh, things that God has given us to do in the church. And then he goes on to say that if you prophesy, and of course this is not talking about foretelling future events as much as it is explaining God's Word, foretelling God's Word. He says, let him do it according to the proportion of faith or ministry. Then he says, let us wait on our ministry. And then it says, or he that teacheth on teaching. Now, what does that mean to wait on ministry? Now, ministry is just one of those words in the Bible uh, that summarizes a lot of things. It's talking about the working of the church. Uh, One of the titles that we give preachers today is minister. Now, why is that word used. Well, a minister is supposed to be a servant. He's supposed to bring things to the people. 
Now, we've changed that word completely, and now we have ministers in government, and they don't bring anything to anybody but themselves. That's just the way man does things uh, today. But the word minister just simply means a servant. And it says you're supposed to wait on that. And you're supposed to wait on teaching. And you're supposed to be careful about prophesying. Now, what is being spoken of here is the attitude and heart with which things are to be done or accomplished in the local church. You see, sometimes I know things are going on in your life. And I would like to say something to you about it. But I've been in the ministry long enough to know they won't do any good. So I don't say it. It's not that I don't want to. But then God will give an opportunity... And I'll come up beside somebody and say, are, are you ready to talk? And they'll say, well, yeah, yeah, let's talk. Well, that's where it starts. And this is talking primarily about the job of the pastor and the leadership in the church. I'm going to just say it as plainly and carefully as I can. I've had people come to me and say, well, pastor, you believe this. I said, where in the world did you get that? Well, so-and-so told me. I said, well, they, they don't speak for our church. Uh, well, well, they're, they're a member of the, of the church, and they're this and they're that. Well, that's, that's not the leadership of the church. Our church is very small on leadership. Well, about six foot and 200 pounds, all right? And, and we're working on adding to that leadership a little bit, about six four and 190 pounds, I think. He needs to put on some weight. Uh, but he'll do that as he grows older. But that's who God's given us as leadership in the church. And that's where the exhortation needs to come from. If somebody... And I'm sad to say we have people that don't attend our church because somebody in our church told them something that I would never tell them. You know what? That's waiting on ministry. You see, it's the ministry of the body of Christ is never about the individual. It's about the church. It's about Jesus. And if what you're doing in the body isn't drawing you closer to Jesus, then what you're doing in the body is not what God is pleased with. If we go, we don't have time this morning, but we will take time, Lord willing, in the next couple of weeks... That, you know, I've, I've had a lot of things over the years. People talk about gifts. 
Well, you see, Pastor, I have the gift of teaching. And my first question is, well, where are you teaching? Well, nowhere right now. There's just not a place to use my gift. I want to challenge you. You don't have the gift of teaching. Oh, my, my gift is just ministering to people. Well, how, how many people has God used you to bring down the aisle and into the membership and good service of the church through salvation and biblical... Well, I, I've just always been a people person. That's not a gift of the Holy Spirit, my friend. A gift of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit actually given you ability, it's to do something that you could never do before anywhere else that you do in service in the local church. That's what a gift of the Holy Spirit is. I pray for our men that teach in the children's church that God will give them the gift, the ability to teach and preach to those children. You know why? Because none of them can do it on their own. They need endowment. I pray for our nursery workers. Putting up with your own kids, you have to do that. Putting up with someone else's, that ought to be a gift of the Holy Spirit. It ought to be. If you're dependent upon the fact that you just love babies and you're just good with babies, then how in the world can the Holy Spirit give you special ability to take care of that job? Because you're depending on yourself. We get calls on a fairly regular basis. I'm, I'm a trained musician. I'd like to use my gifts in your church. We don't want your gifts in our church. Now, I don't tell them that, that mean because I don't even know who they are. I think it's rather arrogant that you would call up our church and try to exercise your gifts in our church when it belongs to Jesus Christ. And we want people who do music in our church to exercise a gift that God has given them, not one that they developed in a, in a music college or somewhere else. Are we still together? You see, love... It's not always just a hug and a kiss. I've gotten lots of hugs from people that don't love me at all. But real love is exercising the truth one with another. Is it not? You see, this morning is part one in this sermon, and I've only gotten about halfway through my notes. But if I could just stop right here and try to tie this part of the message up and give you a challenge. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. But now hath God set the members every one of them in the body as it 
hath pleased him. Now, if you're a member of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church, or want to be a member of our church, this is the challenge. Would you pray that God would set you in the body as it pleased Him? Now, the Bible tells us that God's going to do that. The only problem is we don't always like where He sets us. We, we don't, we all, sometimes we think we ought to be doing a little more or a little less or a little different or a little something. And, you know, I've had people say, well, Pastor, why don't you call on me? And, and I have to be honest. It's because I don't have confidence to call on you. But if you want confidence to be called on for things, what we have to do is we have to get where we're supposed to be and allow God to enjoy the place that He has put us. You see, when we try to do things for God, we always do it wrong, don't we? Have you ever tried to learn how to do something complicated? Like play a musical instrument or something that takes a lot of steps like computer programming? I've never wanted to learn that. But what happens is you get started and the first thing you want to do is, Ah, I got it. Let me go. Give me a job. Let me do this. I can do it on my own. That's not the way it works in the church. You see, God wants to give you the ability to do everything that you do. Ushers, I hope you're praying to God as you're ushering. That God is giving you the ability to be the usher that He wants you to be. Amen? Greeters, same thing. Everything we do, we want God to be the originator, the empowerer, the power source. Amen? Do you? Well, three of you do. Could we try that again? Do you want God to be the ability that you do anything in the church with? Say amen. Do you know Father's Day's coming up? I, I want to be the father that God wants me to be. I can't tell you I'm perfect. I guess that's the reason God gave me so many kids, so I have lots of practice. Amen? But the simple truth of the matter is, You cannot be a member of this church. You cannot be a husband. You cannot be a wife. You cannot be a child. You you cannot even just show up and sit in a pew 
the right way unless you ask God first to help you. That's what that verse means. And God has already taken the effort to figure out who you are and everything about you, and He wants to put you as a member in this church. Why do I know that? Because it's God's will that every living person should be saved. Now, is everybody going to get saved? No. But God wants everybody to be saved. I don't know what we'd do if 200,000 people showed up for church Sunday morning, our neighborhood. But I'll tell you what. We, we need the hundred or so that do show up to spend a little time with God before they come and say, God, allow me to be in church the way I'm supposed to be in church today. I'll promise you this. I'll become a better preacher than you ever thought I could be. You know why? Not because I'm going to change anything, but because God's going to change what goes on in here and here. You see, God wants to set each one of us in His body as it hath pleased Him. He's got a job. Sometimes that job is just being still. That's, that's one of the hardest jobs in the world. It's just saying yes. And take ten, just a few minutes here and end this thing and just by way of review. Our first sermon in this series was on salvation. God cannot use you. He cannot place you until you're willing to surrender to Him in salvation. And it's not emotional. It's not sincerity. It's just saying yes and letting God save you. That's all there is to it. It's that simple. Once God saves you, guess what? He he wants you to identify with Him. Salvation is a private thing between you and God. Baptism is a public thing because you've been with God. Now you can tell the world that God did a work in my life. Then God wants to put you in the church in a place of service. But if you're serving yourself, you can't serve others. If you're dependent upon your ability, you'll never get God's ability. And by the way, that's what prayer is all about. Prayer doesn't change God. It's God's tool to shape and change you. That's what prayer is about. That's why Jesus prayed three hours in the garden. And we don't have time to preach the whole sermon again. But I'd like to. Uh, the... Just as you surrendered to the Lord and to get saved, you have to re-surrender every day to live for Him His way. That's, that's, what, that's how you get set in the body as it hath pleased Him. Because if it's any of you, it's none of God. 
it's being so dependent upon God that we could actually live what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, the law. I fulfill the law because Jesus fulfilled it for me. You see, if I want to love you, I need to love God more and obey His commandments, and then I can't help but love you more. But if I try to start with loving you more, I'm going to get selfish because that's what human nature does. Have you ever realized there are some people that are easier to love than others? It's just easier. But that's not the way God works. And when we go to Him first, He'll be able to set us where we belong. And when he's done, he'll look at Open Door Bible Baptist Church just like he did after he said, let there be light, and he saw that it was good. You know, that's what the Lord wants to see here. But we've got to let him set us as it hath pleased him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we are dealing with things that are very deep in the soul and being of each person here. Lord, it touches on the essence of who we are and what we are as human beings. Lord, my prayer is there are some in this room that are unsaved. That today they would be willing to just surrender everything to Jesus and say, Lord, I will be set in your body as it pleases you, not me. We pray for those that know for sure they're saved, but they've never followed you in baptism and therefore can't be members of the church, that they would surrender to that and be willing to be set as members in the church. Lord, we pray for others that are struggling, that they would surrender that struggle Maybe their abilities or desires. But Lord, that each one of us would be willing to be set in this body, the local church, as it pleases you, not us. Lord, we ask that we would truly worship you through a submissive and obedient heart. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.